So right off the bat, I need to apologize for how late this episode is. Episodes are supposed to come out every other Sunday, and this one won't post until Thursday morning. And it's an embarrassment. It is shameful. And I am so sorry. I promised when we moved to every other Sunday, I was like, this will, it'll never change. We'll never have to take a break again. You will get a new episode every other Sunday as God is my witness. And here I am screwing that up. I'm working on the second draft of my next book and my deadline is coming up at the end of this month. And I don't know how I am going to meet this deadline. And it has been stressing me out. And it has been all that I have been doing and all I have been focusing on. It is all that I can think about. I have moved into a real serious mode. This is something that I did when I was working on the first book. For some reason, it helps me to stay focused if I bring my bed into my living room. And so that's why I did. In my old place, I had a townhome. And so my bed was upstairs and I would literally drag my mattress down the stairs and put it on the floor in the living room. And I would just lay in bed and I would wake up and I would write all day. And then I would fall asleep in the bed. And then when I would wake up again, I would keep writing until it was time to fall asleep. And I would like never move out of the bed for the last week leading up to a deadline. That is where I stayed. And so that's what I've done here in my new place. I have brought my bed out to the living room. It is where I live now. I obviously don't have guests. Nobody's coming over. It's just me on the bed in the living room writing any free moment that I have. And so that's why the episode is late, and I'm very sorry about that. But I am very excited about this episode. This is a really, really, really great interview. Listening back to it during the editing was just so, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Like I was just like pumped because of all these great moments that you're about to hear. The guy I'm interviewing has so many incredible things to share. And I feel like it, it, it's on brand and on theme with a lot of the stuff that we've been having on the podcast recently. And so if you've been enjoying some recent episodes, I feel like this, this is going to be a great one. I, I, I love this conversation that I got to have with my friend, Dan Herod. Dan is a speaker and an author, and we're going to talk a lot about his first book that came out a little while ago. The book is called Suffer Well, Walking Victoriously Through Your Valleys. Dan is, uh, I don't know, just a genuine, sweet, thoughtful, and wise person. And him and his family have gone through a tragedy and through that he has been able to turn around and share just some like really, I don't know, beautiful and helpful teachings about what suffering well looks like. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you enjoy it too. Uh, this is my conversation with Dan Herod. How would you give like a summary of what the book is? 
Suffer well is a simple strategy for tragedy. It's a plan for pain. It's a field guide for the suffering soul. Oh man, that is so concise. You have that down. (laughs) Yeah, I, I really wanted to share my family's journey and be very practical. And uh, like you said, um, it, it starts with talking through about your family's journey um, of experiencing a tragedy. Can you talk a little bit about what that tragedy was? So we've got three kids and Logan is 13 and I'm super proud of the young man he's becoming. And after he was born, we endured two miscarriages like back to back. And after the second miscarriage, we were at a, a weekend gathering for college students helping out with the music there. And it was a week after the second miscarriage and we were just wrecked emotionally. And the first miscarriage was hard. The second miscarriage was doubly difficult. And this group of ladies gathered around Marlena, my wife, during a, a reflection time. And one of them felt that they had something very specific that was on their heart for her. And she said, God wants you to know that he knows that you're struggling to conceive. He's going to heal you and you're going to have another baby. And this woman didn't know Marlena from Eve. (laughs) They were perfect strangers. And so to get that message a week after the second miscarriage was pretty supernatural. For us, and we discovered later that there is a an autoimmune issue that Marlena had, and a couple months later, we discovered that we were pregnant again. And so, on October twenty third, two thousand and ten, Peyton was born, and this is our child of promise. This is the one that we were just hoping and praying for, and. When Peyton arrived as a dad, I invested in my mind, of course, into land, you know, a shovel and a gun. You know, I just wanted to make sure every potential suitor in the future understood where they stand and where I stand. And I just knew when I held her for the first time, I I discovered a love that I didn't know existed. And the love for my son is deep. Man, (laughs) I love Logan. And a father's love for a daughter is, is deep in, in a different way. And so I remember holding her for the first time, just grateful. And fast forward 13 months later, my wife brought Peyton to the doctor for a checkup. And it was just a well-child visit. And her pediatrician gave her a clean bill of health. And brought Peyton home. Arlena brought Peyton home and laid her down for a nap that afternoon. And I had gotten home a little bit early from work. And so Arlena and I and Logan grabbed a spot on the floor in front of the TV and played some Mario Kart on the Wii, not the Wii U. We're going way old school here. And just ripped around the track for a little bit, had a blast. 
and uh, hugged Logan, kissed Marlena goodbye, and left off to go speak to some students. And as I, um, five minutes from the house, my phone rang, and it was Marlena. And her voice set me into panic because I heard words that I didn't know. I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. So I turned the vehicle around. I broke at least two traffic laws on the way home. And it was that evening uh, that our world uh, descended into chaos because our daughter that night had passed away of SIDS just hours after being seen by her doctor. And that moment catalyzed a multitude of things. It set a lot of things into motion. And one of those things would eventually be the book. Okay, so uh, the book is very practical. You wanted to get practical steps. Was that something that you were searching for when you were in your grief? Or was that something that you um, found later looking back at you kind of wandering through that period? Yeah, I think as I reflected on how we got through what we're getting through, just some key thoughts really began to emerge. The, the key idea that now is not forever. And letting that sink in because pain has a way of shortening our eyesight and our vision. It, it really tightens things in and makes it feel like this is it. So the idea of now is not forever was a key thought. Another key thought that looking back on it, I, I kind of realized that the culmination of the journey of the pain was to cherish your choice, to take full responsibility for the agency that we all have as human beings. And I definitely want to make room for those with maybe specific challenges in their developmental realities who may not have a complete agency. Hmm. So I want to be, I always want to be sensitive there because that is real. And by and large for the majority of people, there is an agency there that is vital for us to acknowledge and to accept and to own and to steward. And so cherishing your choice was a key idea. And we got to take responsibility for our responses because I discovered that one measurement of maturity in my life is the level of responsibility I accept for my life. And ultimately the choices that I make and the consequences that flow from that point. And then the third and final key thought is there's always an after. There's always an after. And for the person who believes in Jesus Christ, that after is beautiful. It's, it's heaven. And by and large, for, for the majority of us, our pain and our season of suffering isn't going to end our lives. It will eventually subside. It won't evaporate or disappear completely for some, but there is an, there's an other side while we're on this side of eternity. And that's a beautiful space because that's where we see God doing what only God can do. A, an incredible insight that 
I found as I was kind of diving into the original language, uh, Romans 8, 28. Some people have it memorized. For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. That word causes all things together, the phrase for collaborate. God creates synergy through the calamity. He forces the details of our lives to cooperate with each other so that in the end, it's good. And one of the good things that God has created through our pain is blessing us with another daughter. And she is 17 years old. And I pause there because she's seven, but she's a teenager already. And uh, she's beautiful. She's absolutely beautiful. And her middle name is Joy. And that was our declaration of faith. And I remember holding her moments after she arrived, weeping, weeping. Uh, at the goodness of God, because I, I realized how many times did I want to give up before that moment? How many days did I not want to uh, get out of bed? How many days did I not want to try anymore? How many days did I not want to trust God anymore? How many days did I just not want to? And I'm thankful that God supplied the grace that I desperately needed to work through that. And what's amazing about how God causes all things to work together is in 2014, we bought a house. Well, technically we're borrowing it from the bank for another couple decades. If your listeners are super interested in that detail. And in 2018, our neighbors lost their one-year-old daughter. And I remember sitting in my lazy boy in my living room and my phone rang and it was my mother-in-law and she, she asked if I had heard about the news and I, I hadn't. And she began to tell me through, through choking back tears in her, in her own voice that uh, our neighbors had lost uh, their beautiful baby girl. And what I still can't wrap my mind around is their daughter was brought to the exact same emergency room that our daughter was brought to. So, you know, their family was in the exact same waiting room that my family was in when they heard the bad news. And I, my brain begins to sprain when I try and wrap my mind around how, how, because buying a house is a pretty involved ordeal unless you're Jeff Bezos. Like (laughs) for the average person, it's an orchestrated symphony of finances and chaos. So how in the world do we end up buying a house next door to a family that understands our pain better than anybody else in our town? And now they can encourage us and we can encourage them. And that's just a beautiful thing. It all—it feels like, a, like for me at least, sometimes when talking to people who uh, deal with depression or even like people whose family members uh, have uh, had Alzheimer's and like, it almost feels like I've traveled back in time. Like I'm Marty McFly and I'm on the outside watching like in back to the future two he goes back and he sees the events of back to the future one happening and he's like i i was here and like that's how it feels sometimes of like 
holy crap, you're me from the past. And like, yes, no, no situation is exactly the same, but sometimes it is startling to see like the same thoughts or the same facial expressions or like the same, you know, the look in their eye is like, oh my gosh, I'm, that's me. That's me in there. Yeah. I think there's a significant solidarity that you find and you end up joining a club that nobody wants to be in. And there's only one price for admission. And the huge benefit of that vantage point is now you've got a whole pile of things that had you known at the beginning that would have helped you significantly. And because you know them now, when that person who just has begun their journey, when there are when they're ready and wanting that shared experience, that can almost be like a a fast forwarding in a almost like a bypass of unnecessary pain because the reality of cascading loss is real losing your health losing your finances losing a relationship that's painful enough but oftentimes the response to that pain can author cascading pain and create this ripple effect where just these waves of pain undulate out from an event and it's tied to the response to the event, but not to the event itself. And so I'm thankful for the people that came alongside of us because we figured it out really fast. We really don't know how to have conversations <laughs> with people in pain. People would say things like God would never give you more than you could handle. And then you're tempted to give them more than they could handle. Right? <laughs> um, or everything happens for a reason. We heard that a lot. Or the, the piece de resistance is God must have needed another angel. Where I don't that I've talked to my friends about this one. Cause like, where did this one start? Cause who whose theology? <laughs> ah man, because it it's all just feels like in the stuff that I experienced, it, it just I don't want to I don't know. I, I I feel like it sounds mean, but sometimes it feels like there's people say things to make themselves feel more comfortable. Like we're so uncomfortable with other people's pain that like what what is it? Why can I get it out? that like that will ease this instead of being okay like sitting with the uncomfortableness of lament or you know suffering and just like i'm i'm here in the darkness with you instead of like let me f- put a flashlight and pretend like that's going to you know brighten everything up for you a phrase that i i just learned recently was it's pathological altruism it's good intentions gone awry it's when Really what it said is more for my benefit if I'm trying to comfort someone in pain than for their benefit. Like you think about uh, someone in an arm cast, like you'd never walk up to them and, you know, you know, shake their arm and be like, it's going to be okay. You're going to heal. And then they take their good arm and probably sock it to you. But that's a picture perfect example of pathological altruism. It's good intentions gone awry. It's, it's another vein of toxic positivity where 
in order to get forward somehow, we say things that help us get forward, but leave the person in a pile of pain. Yeah. And I, you know, it is good intentions because, you know, it's often motivated by, I don't want to see you feel this bad. And we want to like microwave them out of it or just like, you know, like, I mean, going with the like broken arm, your arms in a sling, just like the person, I don't want to see you like this. No, no, you just need to get out there and throw some balls. Like, go out, you just go out <laughs> on the field. Like, you, you'll feel better if you do that. And like, no, like, it takes time to heal. And like, if, if we handle this part well, then I will eventually be able to go throw a ball. But if, if I try to go out now, then nothing good will come from that. But like, it's okay that this, this is going to take time. People believe a lot of things. And the beauty of that is um, people can also stop believing <laughs> a lot of things. And one of the things that we've heard was, you know, time heals all wounds. And if that were true, we would never meet a, a bitter seasoned citizen. That so, is so good. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, we, we again have agency. We have a choice in the matter. And time doesn't heal anything. It's what we do in the space between the point of pain and our present moment. That's what determines if we're healed or not. And so, in a sense, the suffering soul needs to begin to rehab their soul and to begin to exercise, albeit at their own pace, at, a, at their own time, in a wise way. But at some point, every suffering soul needs to begin to rehab themselves. And I remember when I was in eighth grade, I, I herniated a disc in my back. I was playing basketball, and I was terrible at it. But there was a female there who I fancied. And I needed to impress her so that I can get the digits. Now, I'm in eighth grade. Now, I did my best. And as I was going to shoot the ball, I tripped and landed right on my back, right above my rear end. And waves of lightning, it felt, shot down my legs. And I found out later through an MRI that I herniated a disc. And it required surgery. The doctor had to cut me to heal me. And as I came to in the room after, just hours after, the nurse walked in and said the meanest thing to me. She said, you need to get up and start walking. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, my back is on fire. It hurts. And she said, no, if you stay in bed, the risk of blood clot and infection will skyrocket. So the counterintuitive thing to do is the right thing to do. And so in that moment, the, the nurse and I think one other helped me stand up and I moved so slow, but I stood up and did a, a walking lap around the hospital floor and I got back into my bed as soon as I could. That was all I could handle. But that began my rehab. 
And the reason why soul rehab is so vital for the person in pain is because forward is super important. And not to say get over anything, but forward is vital. And when you're in pain, it's hard to see that. And for the supporting cast, the people alongside of the person in pain, it's absolutely vital that they let the person go at their pace to only be encouraging and to not be measuring, to not be assessing. Because ultimately that person needs more than a shot in the arm. They, they need to not be alone. I saw on Facebook that you got to speak to a room full of um, fire chiefs um, and you took your son with you uh, and he got to be there for that. W- what has that been like? Um, like a- as a family or even, you know, um, br- bringing your kids along on this journey of sharing your story with other people for healing. That's been amazing. Logan was there the night his sister passed away and processed it as a four-year-old would. And I couldn't be more proud of the way that he's grieved and the way that he's processing the loss. I'm, I'm grateful for that. So when I get to go and share our story with this group of fire chiefs, for example, having him in the room makes everything more real to everybody in the room. And I got to believe that the story gets more tangible for those in the room when they get to see not just one person from this family, but two people from this family. And by the grace of God, we're living an incredible life. And that's what I really want everyone to understand is we were never promised a comfortable life. We were promised to have comfort in life. That's so cool. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's so encouraging to hear. I mean, truths that I think, you know, a lot of times we know and we've heard over and over again, but sometimes in your own um, loss or in your own experience, it, it, it doesn't feel like it could possibly be true. Like hearing like, you can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond to it. Like, shut up. Like when you hear that from a lot of people, it's just like, it's annoying. Cause it's like, who are you to tell me that you don't know what I'm going through. You don't, but when, when someone goes through a tragedy that for so many families is unimaginable, and, and for you to still be able to like stand up and confidently say that same principle of you can't control what happens to you, but you have agency in how you respond and what you do next. And, and if you don't take that responsibility, it can lead to even more tragedies like that, that, I mean, your, your testimony, your story gives that, so like, man, if, if he can believe that, if he can say that and it be true, then of course it can in my situation. And so like, man, it's just, it's so encouraging to hear you share your story. Yeah. I've heard that the best form of communication is an example. 
because a message can reach a mind, but a story reaches the soul. And I think about what has changed my life is when my life has intersected with the life of another, because we, we, I guess we teach what we know, but we, we reproduce who we are. And if we, if we, if we let the lessons flow from those around us and even through us, because here's what I would never want anybody to do is to hear my story or maybe even your journey is, you know, you, you walk with your dad. I would never want anybody to hear that story and think that their journey is any less significant or that their victory is any less significant. And I would never want uh, a family who would uh, feel less about their loss because they only had one miscarriage and not two and lose a daughter like we did because everyone's pain uh, tolerance is relative to their life experience. I forget which uh, singer songwriter wrote this, maybe Alanis Morissette. Uh, the first cut is the deepest, or maybe it's Cheryl Crow. I can't Cheryl remember. Crow. It's Cheryl Crow. Yes. I, uh, I just think the, the poetry of that is real. Why did I bawl my eyes out in junior high after my first girlfriend dumped me? Because it was the worst pain I had ever felt in my entire life. And now I giggle because, <laughs> how do they say it in the South? Well, bless my heart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I think it is vital for us to give space and honor to everyone's journey. Because the moment we start ranking each other's pain and we start giving badges and power-ups to, oh, they really suffered. So we really got to, you know, push them higher and then push ourselves lower so that we don't get out of balance. That's all hogwash. Or, or the other way around of, oh, honey, you think that's bad? I blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's like, well, cool, great. I guess mine means nothing. You one-up me. Congratulations. Right. I mean, isn't that crazy? I would never want a family that lost five kids in a house fire to look at me and Marlena and be like, oh, you don't know pain. Let me tell you, honey. Yeah. That would be so frustrating. So um, let's, let's just avoid that. And let's, let's be better is, is the way I would say it as forcefully <laughs> as possible. Let's just be better than that so that we can be all better. So that we can help each other become who we can be and we can bypass the unproductive, ineffective ways that we, we speak into situations. Let's just honor each other. Let's lift each other up. Let's make each other feel the dignity that we all inherently possess. And that's what I love about the faith that I have in Jesus Christ. He restores dignity to us. He gives us back the reminder that we are absolutely loved. For no apparent reason except that we're loved and that's enough so uh, i'm excited i'm so excited for the ways that uh, as difficult as it is the way that pain can produce uh, powerful moments and opportunities and i know this that god never wastes it and my hope for everybody listening today is that we would never waste it that we wouldn't let this opportunity pass us by as difficult as it is no matter what it is if it's financial relational emotional spiritual it all it's all significant and that's what's super important to remember that we would not waste it because we know that god won't he's he's getting to work on our behalf 
because he loves us. But let's do our part and let's cooperate with the one who is wise and take responsibility for our journey and know that just because the story isn't resolving the way that we want it to doesn't mean it's not going to have an incredible ending. We just have to keep going until we get there. That is the perfect ending. That's the greatest. Oh, man. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, <laughs> I love this, man. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I'm grateful. Thank you again to Dan for coming on the show. If you want to check out his book, again, the title is Suffer Well, Walking Victoriously Through Your Valleys. It's available on Amazon. Go check it out. Pick it up. It's a really great resource, and it's just been so cool to hear the different stories of how God has used it as a resource for different communities and different community leaders uh, to be able to help people walk through their suffering. But now, to end the show, I figured it would be nice to have like something pretty peaceful. I don't know. Like, that's a pretty heavy topic. And like, it's a pretty heavy talk that me and Dan had. And so I just wanted to end on something nice, something laid back. So I sat down with my friend Seth Urbina because Seth works at a zoo, or he did work at a zoo. He just got a new job. Congratulations, Seth, on your new job. But Seth worked at a zoo, and I just wanted to learn about some animals. And so, hey, let's just, hey, just sit back, relax. If you're driving, close your eyes and put your feet up and enjoy some interesting facts about animals. Hi, everybody. I'm here with my friend, Seth Urbina. Seth, how are you doing? Uh, let me sit up. Okay. S- Seth, you work at a zoo. Yes, the Oklahoma City Zoo and Botanical Garden. How long have you worked there? Uh, a year and... And seven months. What is your favorite animal at the zoo? Uh, the Western Tufted Deer. His, what is his, that? His name is Nugget, and it's the second smallest species of deer on the planet after the Chilean Pudu. It's a little tiny guy. He's only about two feet tall Ooh. and he's fully grown. He's six years old at our zoo. Does he make a noise? He barks when he. What does is, it sound like? I haven't heard it because it's when it's mating season and we only have him. So I don't think. Oh, but you got to dress up as a female <laughs> one. I think. Hey, Nugget. <laughs> uh, he has two sharp teeth in the front of his mouth like fangs, like oh. a vampire. That's why I like him. Oh. But that's a male trait. So he just looks like like a little derpy. <laughs> he's like, hey, I'm Nugget. Um. What are some things that you wish the general public knew about zoos or going to the zoo? Uh, Because you've got to deal with a lot of people, I guess. Um, I mean, for sure, just don't tease the the animals. Don't tease the animals. Like Like, saying mean things? Like, like... Like, like go up, you bald head? (laughs) Go up, you bald head? And then the bears get real (laughs) mad. Uh, No, like, just like, like... People just tease them all the time. It's like, like... 
shaking stuff in front of their glass. And it's like, come, oh. on, come on, guys. Like, yeah. these guys don't, they, they don't get to choose to live here. They're stuck here. Yeah. I never know how long I'm supposed to look at an animal at the zoo. As long as your heart, it's like, are you connecting to this animal? No, move on. This animal? Oh, I love looking at him. Keep Stay there. That's what I once took a girl on a date to an aquarium. Uh, I've seen lots of dates at the zoo. Oh, what, but like we went to an aquarium and I think we walked through the whole thing in 15 minutes and it cost like 30 bucks a person to go in. I feel that And I was way. like, oh no, we're at the end. And it wasn't one of those where you could like keep walking around. Yeah. It was like a one path, like a hell house or uh, a haunted house. Where and they kept like, jumping out, the octopus. <laughs> and then we got to the end and I was like, no. And they said, now... You saw a lot of things in there today, but have you ever seen the face of God? <laughs> One day you will. You can walk through this door right now, make a decision for the <laughs> Lord. That's it. That's Hell House. Uh, I've seen lots of dates where the guys are like trying to explain something to the girls, and they explain it wrong. They're like, <laughs> they're trying to mansplain basically, an elephant. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> did you know that he does? Da, 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 da? And I'm like, actually, so I, I do it sometimes because it's funny to me yeah. to correct if the guy's trying to be like super, trying to emasculate. Yes. Them. And, and you do, do it while doing push-ups in front of them? Yeah, I do I do 100 push-ups, and then I'm just like, actually, that's a giraffe, you idiot. <laughs> but, yeah, I I like telling people about the animals when they ask, but sometimes you can tell people don't care, and it's like, okay. Oh. I'm like, okay. I won't tell you about orangutans. What can you tell me about an orangutan? They are very solitary creatures. They always live alone, so there's no group name for a group of orangutans. Oh, because you just never see that. Yeah. So oh. usually the females have like a one area of the forest. They stay a smaller area. Guys have a big old area. They go back and forth, basically uh-huh. meeting up with a bunch of females. Mm. They live high in the trees. Um, do you, Are all the monkeys and orangutans and apes behind glass? Uh, no, not always. Do they sling that not, poo? They have. You know, one time I was in Cameroon, Africa, uh-huh. and we were at this chimpanzee rescue place like a what are the a sanctuary a chimpanzee that they were mad and then they started throwing rocks one of them grabbed his he pooped in his hand slung it and it flung and it landed all on my arm and oh. i started screaming because it was just a bunch of chimp poop and it was so warm and nasty when they were just upset they were upset that people were there oh my you've never seen that at your zoo no i haven't seen them I, one of our chimpanzees in our zoo is obsessed with putting a blanket up his butt, though. <laughs> the same blanket? Yeah. Well, they give him blankets every day, like different blankets and stuff. But then... He's well, always trying to just Basically, like, everyone's like, was like, hey, I think that monkey has a... I think that chimpanzee has a tail. Is he a monkey? Like, that's not a, or like, hey, there's something wrong with him. I think his intestines are coming out. It's like, no, that's, that's a blanket. blanket. That's a snuggie. That's what he does. His butt snuggie. Basically. Uh, well, also, you have uh, a unique perspective on... A big cultural icon in a very embarrassing, terrible way that happened earlier this year. I don't know where I don't know what you're talking about. Tiger King. Oh, right, 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 right. That's an Oklahoma. See, I never watched Tiger King, but I got a bunch through osmosis. I was still working at the bank at the time when everyone was watching it. Yeah. And so I didn't have time to just binge watch it with everyone. But you know you knew about him. Yes. Because I mean, I feel like everyone, in, especially yeah. if you're in a zoo in yes. Oklahoma. And so he's not accredited. He's not in the part of like the real like official zoos that have like, this is what you're supposed to meet the requirements for. Yeah. But he's not a real licensed zoo. No. He can do any sort of it's thing. It's funny, with them. like, though, because as soon as that 
show came out, so many people came to our zoo with the shirts, like, we're the Tiger King and stuff. <laughs> uh, like, we get that joke all the time, like, I'll give you $2,000 for that tiger there. And you're like, I, I just work here, dude. That's not my tiger. <laughs> also, I've heard that joke already. Mm, isn't that the worst? I hear, I drive the little train thing around, and they're always like, mind if I drive it next? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. What's it like at the zoo during mating season? Ooh, everyone's pairing up. They're all finding their mate. They're all getting frisky. Not all of them. Some of them are just alone, like our zebra. He has mm. no one else in there with him. Really? Yeah. Why? Because no one wants to grab these zebras because they're they're kind of jerks. Oh. And so no other zoo will take him. Oh, wait. Your, your zoo has a jerk zebra? Yeah. His name is Zooberry, and everyone in the... Like the ungulate department hates him. Why? Because he's a jerk and he, he like spits at them and like pees on them and like makes a mess everywhere. Oh. And he like always is just mad in a bad mood. Uh, have you ever been bit by an animal? Nah. I mean, the giraffe. Have you of- ever bit an animal? I. Boo, boo, boo. It's <laughs> me, Yogi Bear. He bit me. That's my Yogi Bear impersonation. Pretty good. Sometimes I get desensitized to animals at the zoo because I'm like, just see them every day. I'm like, there's there's, there's Ju- a lion. There's Dimitri. What's Dimitri? He's a giraffe. Oh. I'm just like, there he is. There's Rex. <laughs> Don't roll your eyes at the animals. I roll my eyes at them. I'm like, there's Rex again. Which one's Rex? He's the elephant with tusks. Oh. I'm like, there he is again. Does working at a zoo make you want to be a vegetarian? Nope. Okay, good. I, it makes sometimes... Here's a, here's a little. Sometimes I like I'm, I'm like, I wonder what this animal tastes like, <laughs> and like it's like this is an endangered species, but like, what if they're good? Dude, what animal do you think it probably tastes the best? Uh, probably the Indian hog deer because it probably tastes like venison and like ham. Oh, but she's endangered. Oh no, <laughs> and she's fourteen. Is that old or young? Uh, they can live anywhere from ten to twenty. Oh no. I think she just turned 15, actually, this well, year. Well, happy birthday to her. I hope she doesn't get eaten. Mm, her name's Peanut. Oh, that's even worse. That's a more enticing name. Um, you know, you ever think about, like, eating other animals? No. Just, like, see a dog on the street? You're like, hmm, what if? I I feel like if you're going to feed me something, you need to tell me what it is afterwards. I had a cat once. Yeah. It was like a bush cat. It looked like a like a cat, though. It had a little cat face. Where was this? In Africa. And did you know you were about to eat a cat? Yeah, because I saw the head. Oh, really? It looked like it was like the whole body of a cat just laying in a pan. Oh, in a pan? Yeah. Is it flipping it up and down? Kind of, almost. Oh, like a cat omelet? Yeah, I'll show you a picture. And what did it taste like? It was really good, but it was I think it was the sauce that was on it. Oh, made it so cat good. sauce. The cat sauce. It's called catsup. You missed it. Good night, everybody. <laughs> catsup. Uh, any zoo secrets that you can tell us? Um, no, they already revealed all the pregnant ones. Those are the secrets I used to tell them. When I substitute taught, I would be like, I work at the zoo. Here's all the secrets. This animal's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They ever do gender reveal parties? Nope. It's too dangerous. <laughs> That's topical. <laughs> That's this is our bit that's topical. Welcome back to ASMR topical. topical. Do you ever do ASMR on your on your podcast? No. Why 
Why not? Because I, um, it scares you, the power behind ASMR. The power, the diamond in the diamond. The diamond in the When I was a young boy, my father (laughs) took me into the city to see a marching band. Uh, I feel like that's it. All right. That's all right. I don't know what else there is. Again, thank you to Dan and Seth for being on the show. Thank you to Lucky Star and Jordan Combs for the use of their songs in the episode. Uh, Make sure that you subscribe. Tell a friend. Share the podcast, an episode that you really enjoyed. Give it to someone. (laughs) download it and burn it onto a disc and then mail it to your grandma because she doesn't know how an iPod works or a computer works, but she probably has a CD player. And so mail her a CD of it. Hi. Hi, grandma. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope somebody did that for you. And that's why you're listening to this. I hope you're doing well. I need to call my grandma. Ugh, I just realized I still have not done that. My mom told me that I need to. And I know that my mom's going to listen to this episode and then she's going to text me and she's going to be like, you do really need to call your grandma. And I don't know why I haven't done it yet. Oh, that just reminded me I need to call my grandma. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call my grandma this weekend. I'm going to do it, I promise. I really am going to do it. Okay, that's the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. We will see you again in, uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday for a new episode. I promise it will be there.